Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V, the show of life, the show of mezcal, being in Oaxaca in 2021, and so much more. Today, I sit down with Ryan Toll, importer, distributor, also a podcast host himself, Maestro del Mezcal, the podcast, and is one of the co-organizers of that event bearing the same name. We recorded at the warehouse, you know, which is really like a nice house. It reverberates a lot in Oaxaca. There's a lot of noise, and when I recorded it, there was just like too much remnant noise of it originally, and it didn't meet my standard, I guess you could say, for audio integrity. But just in the past couple of weeks, Waves, who makes these amazing plugins for recording, podcasting, all this, they released something called the D-Reverber. And it's really, really smart technology that removes the reverb out of audio. And you can adjust it, tweak it. So now I have it, and it sounds great. This is a great interview with Ryan as he talks about it. Lots of things, Oaxaca, California, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Ryan Toll. Uh, probably equally uncomfortable for me in both, <laughs> both positions. <laughs> it's not a, like doing the podcast and thing. You're not like naturally an extrovert, someone who is deeply inquisitive. I'm definitely not naturally an extrovert. I I I I am deeply inquisitive, but I don't uh yeah, I don't consider myself like a really talkative person or yeah. never like like performing or any of that kind of stuff. So not not in drama? No. Not a musician? Nope. Going to school at Santa Cruz, what were you studying then? I'm uh, kind of curious. Linguistics. Linguistics. Uh-huh. Did you have a focus or specialty in Spanish at that point or no? I had a specialty yeah, in, uh, well, so my actual, uh, what I studied, the degree is called language studies. So you take about half the linguistics courses and you take two languages. I took Spanish and Portuguese. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Which did you find to be more difficult? Uh, I mean, they're both pretty similar. actually. Yeah, so. yeah I've, I've heard that about Portuguese for yeah. sure. So this whole journey, though, you know, you, you're growing up in, you said Reno City, Nevada City, rather, Nevada in California. City, California. Now, is that more like, part of me, for my limited understanding <laughs> of those long-ass road trips in fucking California, but is it more like Bakersfield? Is it more like San Diego, kind of more rural area or more metropolitan? Uh, it's not like either of those. It's, yeah, it's more rural. It's um, a town in the foothills of California. Yeah. Uh, gold country as they say so uh, pretty rural but uh, it's also there's a lot of uh, tech companies up there and there always have been it's been kind of like a a small tech hub so there's a good amount of people uh, that come from out of state and from out of the town and and a lot more recently, it's growing a lot. So, what, like, tell me, what does a Saturday night contend with? Like, you drinking, you know, I'm from Texas, right? So, we start fires and we drink bush <laughs> or natty light, right? I don't, but that's kind of how Texas is. But what kinds of things do you do? And 
Nevada City? Um, I mean, in high school, we, yeah, we would we would uh, definitely do a lot of like camping and campfires. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of nature, so it's right in the outside of the Tahoe National Forest, snowboarding, skiing, and whatnot. Yeah. A lot of lakes and rivers. Is it something that helped you maybe appreciate nature just a touch more being around it all the time, or are you just kind of, you're just in it? Yeah, I, I think so. I think kind of when you grow up in a, in a rural area, in a, uh, you know, with some kind of more connection to nature, you appreciate it more. Yeah. Probably. What, did, what were your folks doing? What kind of industries were they in? Uh, my mother was a uh, kindergarten and like first grade teacher. Oh. My dad worked in um, the software engineer. Now he's a geneticist. A geneticist? Uh-huh. That's incredible. Yeah. So do you kind of feel like an interesting blend of, well, I mean, I know you do classes. I know you do education. You do dinners. So there's this teacher side of you but also i know you dissect a lot of that kind of the minutiae of agave do you feel like a pretty good blend of the both of your folks yeah i think so in, in some way some way hopefully right uh-huh. <laughs> any brothers sisters or no uh, i have one sister younger sister yeah and so going because you got two folks that are in areas of which they need a degree was there pressure on you to make sure you went to uni and finished up the degree and did that whole IRED piece? Um, I think to some degree, I guess it was kind of just expected or what you would do. I, yeah. I, I don't know if there was a lot of, like, there wasn't too much pressure as far as academics, really. But, um, yeah, I think that's just kind of what the plan was. Sure. Good student? That's school. pretty good. I... Um, I mean, in some areas, I'd, I'd challenge myself a lot. In other areas, I, would, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you're more an art guy or more a math guy? Uh, both. In, I mean, in high school, I definitely like, took all the math classes I could. So I, but that was kind of so I never had to take math again. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, although I think I would appreciate it more now. I don't think my brain was fully developed. It might not still be. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect we're still growing or it's shrinking. Yeah. I don't know if mezcal makes your brain shrink or grow. It's very, <laughs> very hard to tell. Yeah. But so this journey, when you what when you're thinking about studying Portuguese and Spanish in college, you know, in Santa Cruz, what is like the ideal use or the ideal application of that degree for you? What were you kind of thinking you were gonna do with it? I don't think I really had an idea. Yeah. And I I probably wouldn't have studied that if I could go back. And I think I have a better idea of kind of what interests me now. What might you change to? I think I would have liked to maybe go to like UC Davis and study fermentation or something instead of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we probably both would want to go back and do that. Yeah, (laughs) it makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the thing is, is that what I'm always trying to understand is you have this kind of kind of blend in your, in your your background from your folks with details, but some creative elements. Do you draw or sing or play any instruments or anything like that? Um, I definitely uh, paint and and draw. What's your? I, although it has it's been a while. I need a, something that I need to pick up on again. What medium? Like pencils, paint, um, wash, charcoal, and and like oil. Oh, really? Uh huh. 
and that was a pretty like at least when you're younger it was a good way to express yourself and kind of yeah. share that creativity i always i always liked uh, art i guess we had a really good art teacher in high school mm-hmm. uh, i think probably one of the best teachers i've had throughout my my life anybody that particularly influenced you art wise um, artist wise not i can't really name like any artist that i would say like particular influence me i don't it's not something that i i don't know i don't i don't know a whole lot of artist names i yeah. same with like musicians and in movies like i really like movies mm-hmm. but i can't name like any actors barely i don't know why that that information just doesn't stay in my head <laughs> what about agave types and I, I don't say that cheekily i actually do mean that seriously are you able to kind of catalog those kinds of things in your head um this agave comes from this part of Oaxaca. Yeah, I mean, I think just learning, learning it over time, you remember some of those stuff, right. those facts. But yeah, there's there's a lot of agave in Oaxaca. So I heard. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about working on language, did, when you wrap up your degree, are you at a crossroads where you're thinking, where do I go? What do I do? What what's next um no i i mean as far as my degree i don't think i'm really like using it very much or sure, concerned sure. about that but, I, but, but, maybe like, it, but when you kind of wrap it is there isn't there not that moment where you're like okay i did the thing so now where do i go from here i don't know um i guess not I and mean, maybe it it kind of it's interesting for example uh learning about the the common names of agave uh-huh. here in Oaxaca and cataloging all those. There's kind of a linguistic element to that. And uh, just being able to hear a lot of the different indigenous languages that are spoken here is always fascinating. And I do like asking people uh, you know, questions about about what, what the words for certain things are and trying to, to dis- determine why, you know, some agave uh, might have like a similar sounding name or mm-hmm. a different sounding name or the same name in one community versus another. So I guess those could all kind of come from the linguistics. Yeah, the colloquialisms, right? How people kind of treat the same concepts differently. Mm-hmm. But you know, so here's the thing: is like you've got you know you got a podcast, you've got an import, uh, like, well, obviously an importer's license, but you've got brands that you import. You're here in Oaxaca doing business education, but when you think about when you fell in love with spirits, was it mezcal first or did you like other types of spirits, the process, as you mentioned, fermentation? What drew you to the category in general? Um, I think for me, it was kind of uh, wine. I, I always have liked wine. Um, I guess my, my mom drank drank a good amount of wine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she had a certain appreciation for it. And... Uh, you know, start. I started making a little wine. Did you really back in 2012? And it's still something I do every year. Uh, and I think I, when I kind of figured out that 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 mezcal had you know a lot of similarities and um, just a crazy amount of diversity, right? Like, like wine is kind of when I, it really started to draw me in more. Did you ever think about? I know we we do fermentations, you know, some in the closet and stuff. But was that ever 
going to be a gateway for you to do a proper vineyard or anything like that? Yeah, possibly. I uh, did actually. We have a license, a wine grower's license now in California. Oh, really? This is the first year we're going to be selling some of the wine that we make. Oh, no way. Uh-huh. So you're double dipping. Yeah. Or triple dipping, maybe. <laughs> you gotta have gotta have multiple hustles. <laughs> that's right. So that's kind of your first experience getting your hands dirty, having some ferments that don't work. What kind of grapes are you working with in California, I wonder? There's uh, a bunch, right? Yeah, I and mean, there's a bunch. And where I'm from in Nevada City, um, there's a lot of the Rhone varietals. Mm-hmm. And there's also like I mean the biggest one in the foothills is Zinfandel. Oh, okay. And uh there's Sangiovese. There's a lot of stuff up there. But um, I've been been working with a lot of Sangiovese mm-hmm. and used to do the Movedra. I don't really know don't how to pronounce it yeah. very well. And it's a French word. <laughs> <laughs> not Portuguese, not Spanish, so we're both lost. No, here. I think in Spain they call it Mataró, which okay. is easier to pronounce. A little bit, so <laughs> sure. And so then you kind of feel that this passion and this understanding of fermentation, raw materials, creating alcohol in some respect, it drives you more to pursue tequila. It drives you to pursue mezcal. What's the next kind of bridge for you into further thinking about process? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, yeah, just learning more That's okay. about yeah. the... Um, the fermentations and i mean i i think just smelling the fermentations of the mezcal yeah and the wine i mean that's often one of the most important things and using your senses sometimes you know is is more important than maybe knowing the actual science and what's going on behind it although that could be helpful as well yeah but i mean let's Um, be honest you think mescaleros are using every scientific instrument in the world to understand what they're doing? Or do you think they feel it like a true artist? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mostly using their, relying on their senses. That's right. So it, you have a strong sense of smell then? Like of the muscles that you can leverage, whether it's your palate or your mind, you feel like your nose is pretty good? I think so, yeah. Is there anything you can do to train your nose? <laughs> well, um, I used to write down tasting notes mm-hmm. for everything that I did ta- or every mezcal that I tasted. I had a Twitter account a long mm-hmm. time ago called mezcal reviews <laughs> <laughs> and I would uh, write, write down tasting notes. And I've since stopped doing that. Um, there's been moments when I've tried to pick it back up, but it just hasn't really happened. But I think that I could tell when I was doing that, that my palate was a little sharper. Sure. Yeah. You're having to think about it and put it on the page. Yeah, and just drawing those connections, making those connections in your brain probably yeah. builds it in some way. It's a muscle like anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're building sense of smell. You're building a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Why mezcal for you? Um, I, you know, I mean, you may love brandy, but I haven't seen you start any brandy importing. So I, yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. I never. I was never super into spirits really um before you know i would always be like taking a shot of something at a bar or whatever until i really like found mezcal and uh just the crazy complexity is is just mind-blowing and so um i think that's why i like mezcal you know there's it's so diverse i don't i don't think there's probably any other 
category like that. I agree. Yeah. I think there is no other rich and confusing and rewarding spirit like mezcal. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the scientific makeup of agave and stuff. I mean, there's some reasons for it. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, you've been here in Oaxaca for approximately 12 years. You know, what was the impetus for you to just move out here? Um, a, girl. a girl. A girl. <laughs> I was going to ask. It's, it's, it's often a girl, which is fine. You know what? 50% of the stories are about a girl. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> did you all meet here? Or did you all meet in California? Or? Here. Uh-huh. I mean, let's ask. You all still together? No. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's a fruitful relationship for 12 years if you were. Uh, nope. So when it when it kind of expired, what were you left thinking? Should I stay here? Should I go back to California? Yeah, I know. I used to go back and forth a lot more than I do now. Um, I always kind of figured that I would be there, you know, at least a good amount of my life, or maybe end up there. But I'm thinking that less and less now. Mm. I I really like Oaxaca, I like Mexico, um, and California is super expensive. So that's a good point. You lived anywhere else in Mexico? I lived in the Yucatan for like a year, year and a half before I moved to Oaxaca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of folks, I talked to Max about this, uh, which of course you know. And I asked him, I said, is this a journey you keep going through, you know, as he moves throughout Mexico, travel, backpacked a lot? Because you don't know where it is that you want to call home? Or is this the place that you want to be home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know it's a question and a half <laughs> for you. What is, is is this the place? Or uh, I don't just know. I think right that's now? a little too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Tough the answer one. to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, twelve years in, when did you start considering the idea that you want to have a brand or that you want to bring other brands into the states? Um. So, when did I? I worked at um, this little mezcaleria called La Mezcalerita. Mm-hmm. That was like in 2012 or 13, I think. Is it in Centro here? Or was? Yeah, it's still, they've expanded a lot. They were up right at the corner on um, like Alcala and uh, what's that? Cosi Hope Hope B. Um, So I worked there when it was just like one little like three meter mezcal bar. Yeah. And that's where I really started to get to try a bunch of different mezcales. And um, then I shortly thereafter met Abel Alcantara, the president of Maestros del Mezcal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he brought me around with him to a couple different of these meetings out in different towns in Oaxaca. And um, it's kind of when we started, I mean, started thinking about the possibility of in some future importing some mezcal from the Maestros del Mezcal group. Mm-hmm. And also Felix Hernandez, the owner of Quiche, he he was um, part of that group before I met Abel. And so that's how I met Felix. Uh, Quiche has always been kind of like a, a home base for Maestros del Mezcal. He's done a lot of events there whenever we have meetings. At the, it, the Not the Palenque, but the, the building that's on the road out to Miahuatlán? Um, no, there's a mezcaleria here on Diaz Ordaz between Arista and Zaragoza. It's like mm-hmm. the one of the one of the first, if not the first, mezcalerias in Oaxaca. Oh really? Um, and that's that's where we have meetings 
and whatnot. So yeah, I met met Felix through through Maestro del Mescal, and uh, yeah, just kind of eventually worked out to be able to import some of these products. How's that experience been? Uh, rather, how how long has it been now since you've started to quiche, for instance, import that? Um, I think it's only been three years. Of really. spine and vine, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. You learned a bit in three years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Yeah, definitely. I, I've never really considered myself like a real business person, but uh, been been learning as I go. Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting to learn about like the standards in the the distribution in like retail and importing in the United States for alcohol. It's a huge, huge pain in the ass. Yeah, uh-huh. suffice it to say. <laughs> Did you ever get any backlash? for being a gringo that was taking these spirits and bringing them into the state. Sometimes people face that. Um, I mean, I've maybe on occasion people have like made comments or asked, you know, I haven't, but I haven't had too many, too much direct like hate, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I never really wanted to, people have often asked, why don't you start, why don't you start a brand? Why don't you start it? And that's not, hasn't been something that I want to do. I think, I kind of think that you know the I let the Mexicans do it if it's not the producers themselves maybe some some of their family or other other Mexicans and I can be the importer and and promote that that in the US and I've also kind of learned like what what the role of an importer actually is mm-hmm. which I didn't initially really know and you start to get an idea of how complex and how hard it is to uh, promote a, and sell a brand. Um, so it does take a lot of different people. And, right. you know, that the three-tier system in the U.S., people hate on it a lot. But I think it's almost, at least from a sales standpoint, it's almost kind of necessary to have these different facets uh, working. Yeah, in tandem to kind of give you uh-huh. just more resources in that respect are quite yeah. helpful. You know, one of the things, and uh, you know, I, I know Hugo and yourself and Luis, of course, uh, relatively well. And we had to really pivot. And I hate that fucking word, but we had to pivot during shutdown to try to keep the brands going, keep socializing them. And when I got introduced to now La Mata mm-hmm. from Luis, I was immediately impressed with Luis and his ability to be honest, transparent, and egoless. And he remains somebody that I, I really would like to spend more time with and get to know, you know. And obviously, shutdown has made that really difficult. But for the La Mata project, how did that kind of come about? Uh, so I met Luis in um, Mescalogia mm-hmm. here in Oaxaca when it was a tiny little, a tiny little mescaleria. So that's ran by Asis by the. Cortez family, oh, Casa Cortez. I bet I met him then seven years ago. Anyway, yeah. Um, so him and him and Asis used to trade mezcal. Oh, Luis would send mezcal from Durango to Asis uh, at Mezcalogia, and that's where I tried some of those. The first mezcal I tried from Durango was there, uh, and then one day Luis came with his wife, and uh, I met met him there and really got along well, and we started trading some mezcal, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it how it started. And he's always had this. He had like a little brand that he would do here in Mexico. Is this still um, around? 
Yeah, he. I mean, he still, he still sells some mezcal here um, to friends and whatnot. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but yeah, he wanted to to export it, and we had a good relationship, so that worked out well. And then you've got Netta as well, and like I know it's kind of split the way that things are going, but. How did you meet the you know Nikki and Max folks behind Neta? Um, so I met Max out in a palenque in Miahuatlan. Uh, I don't know when that would have been like maybe like 2014 or something like that. Um, yeah, I was at a house. This guy Esteban um, Morales. Uh, no, is that? I don't remember his. Or I think it's Hernandez, but I'm not okay. sure right now. They call him El Tigre. Okay. <laughs> in uh, Logoche. And I saw that there, there's truck pulled up and there's some other gringos like across the river. And they came over because they saw me and we started talking. <laughs> and uh, that's how I met Max. Yeah. And so at that point, was it just kind of this? glimmer or glisten in his eyes to bring this stuff in or was it actually pretty close to happening um i think they i don't really know but i think i mean they i think he had like the the name netta was already a thing i believe mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not entirely sure i know it took them you know a long time to get off the ground and um uh, and but yeah we're, i was always there like just it kind of worked out where i started being able to import alcohol kind of when they were ready to do yeah. that yeah. So those three, those are the three main brands of at of Spina Vine, right? I'm not. Yeah. So I don't import Netta anymore. Um, so right now it's just Quiche and La Mata, mm. and very soon uh, Maestros del Mezcal. Where and where are typically those batches from all over the Maestros del Mezcal one. Mm-hmm. So we haven't, we've never done it before, but the this is a civil association. It's like a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. here in Mexico, and there's thousands of producers in it um but it's not a co-op right they're just part of the yeah group or the nonprofit, basically yeah we haven't really worked out exactly how the brand and how the um yeah how it's going to be organized like on a commercial level it's Mm -hmm. it's never had a commercial aspect and i think the the president abel has done that on purpose and i think it's kind of a smart move um just gaining trust and and letting people you know promote promote traditional mezcal without necessarily having it all about be all about money or right or a brand um but i think we're you know getting to a point where we can do that and the idea is to have it structured in in a sense that uh, a lot of the profits are, are going to be going back to mexico more mm-hmm. than more than would traditionally sure. be in most situation how, how about how far do you think you are from have those first uh bottles? hopefully the first palette is in like in by like march oh good so q1 yeah. and 22 which is yeah incredible and so when did you start the podcast of the same name um Masters i don't know how long it's been maybe it's been two years two years. or no maybe a little more yeah that's something that i'd like to do a lot more consistently mm-hmm. but um yeah, I just I need some help. I need uh <laughs> can't <laughs> believe <do anything>. me <laughs> if anyone understands. Yeah. But I think I've found someone actually a really good fit who's going to start helping. Uh-huh. Um 
and really hope to get this on point where it's coming out at least once a month. Sure. That that's our goal for now. You know, I, I've got the way that I interview and the way that I want to bring out truths or people's journeys and whatnot. But like as a host, do you think about that? What your not strategy, that might be too strong of a word, but what your intent is as a host. What kinds of things are you really trying to bring out of others and then share with the the agave community? Yeah. Um, I think with as far as this podcast so far, we I really like focusing kind of on the nerdy stuff and more of the detail, uh, and maybe less of like the you know the personalities behind mm-hmm. it. And what I I tend to prefer that kind of content myself. Sure. So sure. I um, I guess that's what we focus on more. I don't know in the future. I think I'd like to keep it like kind of more focused on. The methodology and the uh, you know the biology and and technique and, and tradition behind mezcal mm-hmm. more than like the uh, the personalities or the but that's maybe my my like I don't know <laughs> yeah no I understand I mean I think we kind of feel differently about it but but I love the science too I do you know and I have to as a distiller understand the science mm-hmm. to some extent you know. But I think you have really great access to folks here being in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. How many episodes roughly are you in? Mm, <laughs> I think there's only like nine or ten or something. Oh, that's some. Or maybe there's more. I'm. I don't even remember right now. It's. I need a. I need a. I have a, an episode that we're technically working on right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that will come out. I'm sure relatively soon. soon. So I've been doing, you know, I got here on Wednesday uh-huh. and I've been tires to the ground, man, since I, I got in and it's good. I love it. Learning, blah, blah, blah. But just about a week before I got in this New York, New York Times article kind of came out. Mm. Um, and I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, no problem. Um, but I suspect you do. And it just had triggered a lot of questions, not a lot of anger necessarily, but I'm going to ask you two kind of direct things, uh, one of which I've never talked about before off the mic, right? Or rather on the mic. But one, is mezcal getting too big? The kinds of impact on ecology and all of that. Uh-huh. Um, so as per that article, I didn't actually read that. I read a couple of people's opinions on it. <laughs> and I, and yeah. I saw the headline. Uh, I... It's kind of embarrassing, but I, I like do not. I very rarely read anything about mezcal or listen to. I just, it's like if I'm doing this all the time, I prefer to fill my like reading or listening time with other subjects. Sure. No, of course. <laughs> uh, but to your question, um, I think the answer is maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something that I I think about a lot, like. You know, is mezcal even traditional anymore once it's sold or once it's taken outside of the community where it was made? Mm. Uh, is that, I guess this is kind of the, a, to- a topic with all different um, products that are, mm-hmm. you know, sold outside of their context, sure. um, how it affects them. And like, so there's, there's in Oaxaca, for example, there's thousands of mezcal producers. Most of them, make 
less than a thousand liters of mezcal a year. Um, if if we wanted every one of them to, and and also it's never really been their source of income or their right. main source of income. Yeah. Um, so if all of a sudden we wanted every one of these producers to be making enough mezcal to, for example, have their own brand, uh, you know, there wouldn't be an agave left really mm-hmm. fast. <laughs> and you're completely changing in a way their their culture and their what they their productivity, what they spend their time doing. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's a hard question if that's right. And, like, where do you find the balance? Uh, but, like, where's your gut at with it? Do you think the, the category is growing too quickly? I think, I mean, I tend to think that the, the main threats are, uh, you know, the tequilization of mezcal. Yeah. So... If you see these these lands that are being sold up or rented out, um, and then plowed over, deforested to plant espadine, like that kind of activity is probably the biggest threat to traditional mezcal. Yeah. So consuming traditional mezcal, consuming mezcal from these tiny producers that make a thousand liters, also in a way you're helping preserve it. Uh, I guess yeah, just trying to find the balance to how to actually preserve the, the traditional production um, without making people just go crazy and and you know cut down their own their own lands to plant espadine mm-hmm. uh, I don't know where that balance is kind of or what the best I have some ideas I guess what the best strategies are but do you, do you feel like you've got uh, rather there's always a pretty fervent discussion online whether that's good or bad it it does exist and this particular article generated a lot of conversation from folks that are in the states from folks that are mexico do you ever get involved with that that dialogue which is often heated often quite ignorant but what's your kind of strategy with dealing with those conversations online i don't know i i think i tend to stay out but maybe every now and then i'll chime in (laughs) yeah uh yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that we can't get the actual Bescal producers' voice out there more mm-hmm. and let them chime in, um, have them all be on Facebook. <laughs> but that's just not a reality. Uh, but I think that's something that Maestros del Mezcal is trying to do. We've always had these events where the producers have a chance to sell directly to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how a lot of brands that you might know now met the the producers they work with um and like we're trying to right now get visas for a bunch of producers to come and do a tour of the u.s and yeah i think it'd be be great to hear more from them and less from like people like me (laughs) dude the podcast could serve as a pretty good resource for that yeah the what the podcast that you have yeah yeah like kind of highlighting these these folks the visa process, because I was in Santa Catarina Abaradas uh, yesterday, and they were talking about the passport process and visa and stuff. Do you feel, because I don't know, on the state side, we understand how that process is. It's relatively easy for us. But is it easy for a mescalero to say, I want to come to the States for a limited amount of time, talk about my product? How is that process? Is it relatively easy for them to be granted a visa? No. 
it's not easy for any Mexican to get a visa to the U.S. How long is it? What are the kinds of troubles or, or challenges? Uh, I mean, it's just kind of a irrational system where they assume that if you're going to go there, that you might stay there, mm-hmm. or that you're probably going to stay there. So they don't. They just don't grant a lot of people visas, and it's really hard to prove, you know, that you're not that that that's not your plan. Uh, it's pretty unfair, I think. But I mean, I guess I kind of understand why it's necessary. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard for Mexicans in general to get visas to the U.S. Do, does it help having you as an importer, or at least being able to write? I don't know. Do they re- require letters of recommendation or things like that to kind of say, no, for sure, I'm coming back? Um, it doesn't. As far as I can tell, so far, it doesn't really help. There's not much you can do. There's certain things you can do to help, mm. and especially if maybe you have some kind of high up inside contact mm-hmm. on either side but uh i know right now we're trying to get letters inviting um Stub mescal from institutions mm-hmm. in, the, in the u.s academic institutions yeah academic or otherwise you know well-known institutions restaurants and museums and whatnot um embassies things like that and the idea is that that will help uh in some way <laughs> well honestly let me know um, with regard to university of texas for instance great business school great i mean uh, economy like lots of different kind of programs there but i've got some contacts there that i would love to extend if, if that is something that helps yeah a letter of an invitation because i remember going through the china visa process uh. and i had to have about two letters just to be able to be granted to go huh. for for a couple of weeks but how many mescaleros mescaleras in total are you trying to bring across to do a tour or do talks um i'm not entirely sure yet i think that's something that we're still trying to figure out but i i think at least like you know five to ten people oh that's not that much yeah Yeah, and and possibly more Mm uh kind of just depending on how it all works out does the country of mexico so here's the thing it's like tech people in the states we can easily get visas. It's some kind of revered industry from the, t- the states working with it, Asia and all of that. Mescaleros, are they revered here? Because in the states, we revere them for their hard work. Um, no, I don't think they're revered. In a lot of times, you know, they're, they're campesinos, they're farmers, um, they're darker skinned, they're indigenous often. So... Yeah, in Mexican society, pretty classist. And um, I think that, yeah, it's definitely harder, for example, for a, for a farmer uh, from Oaxaca mm-hmm. to get a visa than it is from, like, you know, a uh, doctor in Monterey or whatever. Right. Or even, like, not necessarily a doctor, maybe just a lighter skin, um, you know, academic or something in northern Mexico can probably be a lot easier for them. Mm-hmm. So living here this long, have there been any really large observations you've made? You talked about classism, but the states are, are we, we know the states. I know California to some extent, you know, lived all throughout the United States and we've got our own bits of prejudice and all of that. But have you noticed the striking difference between the way of life in Mexico versus when you were living in California? Um, 
And I think there's a lot of difference. <laughs> <laughs> what are a few, just to give me kind of insight, like if I was to somehow move here, which I'm not planning on, but if I was, what are some things that you noticed immediately are quite different? Um, I mean, people, like, for example, the economy here in Mexico, you have to, it's, it's often mind-blowing. When I, when I used to work in Mezcalarita, for example, I think I made like $5 a day or $7 a day or something. And if you're taking a taxi home, that's like half of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's often mind-blowing to me that people can even afford to live like anywhere on, on uh, local wages here in Oaxaca, especially now that the, the centro is kind of gentrifying and the rents are way higher uh, food costs and everything's way higher but the local wages haven't really gone up that much i think in general in mexico it's crazy how much more people have to work uh, to kind of get the you know to get the lift mm-hmm. yeah that's always crazy to me given that that's kind of a tough thing making a living here especially I mean, do you, are you ever feeling compelled on a day, daily basis or weekly basis to go back to the States? Um, no, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough where my money is made in the States and I live here where it's cheaper. That's pretty much the only way that I can personally do it yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, I mean, yeah, California is having some of the same issues, but it's not nearly as bad as it is here. Yeah. Well, I, I ask you because... And, you know, this is not going to turn into a larger conversation about socioeconomic status or whatnot, but it's kind of this thing that keeps coming up. Austin's like that. Dallas is like that. People getting priced out. Mm-hmm. Places they've lived for a long time. But in the past 12 years you've been here, because I've only been, my first time in Oaxaca was 2014. So I've only seen it kind of change or not to the extent you have because you've lived here. Is it a different place now than it was when you moved here basically right around 2010? I think, yeah, to some degree, um, there's just been a really intense explosion in tourism mm. in the more in the centro than anywhere else. Um, and yeah, I think it, there's definitely a different kind of vibe. Good or bad, we think. I mean, it goes both ways. I think we could all realize, but mm. uh, it depends, kind of good for who or for what um yeah i don't know yeah so going back to not going to start a brand which is okay understood you're going to bring in a third brand or label to the importation Mm -hmm. do you see yourself expanding into if you're not already expanding into europe expanding into asia more global stuff like that um i'd like to maybe bring in a couple different spirits from maybe from Mexico, maybe from other places, and start doing some more wine stuff, mm. uh, bringing it into the United States. So, yeah, maybe like expand a bit. Uh, I don't, I don't really want to end up with like tons and tons of mezcal brands, especially because I think I don't know, it's just kind of counterintuitive. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to grow some. Yeah. So I've got a couple questions left for you. One that's, you know, knowing that you watch movies but don't know actors. I won't go in that direction. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. But let's go just mute. You like music, yeah? 
Um, I think I like movies more than I like music. Okay, let's, <laughs> well, we can go movies then. Um, so let's say you're anywhere in the world, and you're sitting down having a mezcal from Quiche, let's say. Doesn't matter where you are. But, and you can have a conversation with any actor, actress, living or deceased, who might like you? Who might you like to just sit there and have a conversation with? Someone you'd like to meet? Hmm. Um, God, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I don't feel like I know any of the actors like like on a what personal level well enough to know if I'd like to meet them or not. Any any fictional ones that you think of? Not knowing the real ones, like characters that you're really drawn to. Um. I don't know. I'm always fast. How about like reading? So I'm always sure, pretty sure. fascinated by reading like historical accounts, uh-huh. travel logs, and that kind of stuff. Uh, more of a yeah, nonfiction readers. So, I mean, so when a couple of years ago I read that uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's about Humboldt. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, that guy seemed pretty fascinating. I think it'd be interesting to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> It's no, it's a tough question, and it's one of the things that it really just kind of provides some insight for me as to kind of where where your head's at, you know. Um, so, last question for you. You know, you poured through mezcal, and we we don't have to reveal it to me, but you poured three mezcalis in front of me. Uh-huh. I, I think I got two. Last one I haven't tried yet, but do you like that blind process? Pour a mezcal. You tell me where you think it's from. Is that part of the way you like to conduct education in classes? Yeah, I really, I like tasting blind. Um, I think it it just, you know, you take away the bias and you can kind of train your palate better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something I really like doing with, with my friends. And uh, what do you think these are? <laughs> I haven't tried the third one. I think the, the first one's from Mia Wadlan somewhere. I couldn't tell you where. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think it's refrescadero. I don't think it's twice distilled in copper. Second one definitely to me smells and tastes like it's from Solera Vega, which would be two times in clay. I can't confirm that. But okay. The only other big one's Minas. I don't think it's Minas. Uh, and the third one, which I've only smelled, nice, bright, acidic. This is the different one. This is a totally different area. And I'm going to you know, give myself five seconds. You still have some from the third one? Yeah. Mmm. I, I'm at a loss because it could be, it's so deep in chocolate, like it tastes like a Mexicano and like mint chocolate chip and stuff, but it's not light like from Guerrero. It's mm-hmm. not lactic like from Michoacan. I mean, it could be from Durango, but probably not. It tastes like something from Oaxaca, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. So you stumped me, which I appreciate you. <laughs> Are you going to tell me what it is on the? Yeah. So do you know, how about the agave? Do you, can you, do any of those stand out to you? Oh, uh, No. No, just how how styled does. So, so I couldn't the, tell you. What so they're all uh, Espadine. Oh, great. Angustifolia. And the first one is from um, the Mijes, the, the Sierra Mijes region. And it's copper, still mm-hmm. twice copper. So you're right with that, the copper. The second one is from uh, Totomachapan. Mm. So near Solo de Vega. Okay. It is in clay, right? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, fermented in clay as well. And that third one is from the Mixteca Baja, oh. so near the border with Puebla, uh, but in Oaxaca. And that's copper, right? Yeah. Yeah, tastes copper. 
Uh-huh. Interesting. But so all espadines, varying proofs, uh-huh. um, beautiful lightness here on the first, as you said, clay. See, so this is these three, and I know it sucks. There's not smell of vision, and there's not taste of vision with podcasts, yeah. <laughs> right? But suffice it to say, there's stuff that's at least similar in complexity and lightness or darkness. Mm-hmm. So I think these are really, really show the range. And we're going to talk more about this third one, too, and the Mixteca. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time out, mate. It's been years or months. I don't know which. It's been <laughs> <laughs> times of flat circle, but appreciate you taking the time out to chat. And we'll chat soon and sip some more here off the mic, yeah? Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for doing this interview. It's been Absolutely. interesting. Interesting indeed. <laughs> My pleasure. Cheers. Well, there we have it. Ryan Toll of Spine and Vine importing distribution works with quiche mezcal had worked with la mata uh, really amazing brands and the podcast i've heard so much about i haven't you know to be honest i haven't listened i don't listen to other podcasts i can't get a little too self-critical hey there's an insight there for y'all but it was great spending time with him and then i saw him also at the agave heritage fest in tucson caught up a little bit more saw really a lot of the team there and tried a bunch of great mezcalis from quiche and la mata so on and so forth. So Ryan, thanks for taking the time out. Even if it's about two years later, I still think much of this stuff is still very, very pertinent. So thanks everybody for listening to Joe V with Mike G. No matter how much caffeine you need to get the day going, or if you're thinking, what's the next 90s thriller kind of steamy movie that I want to watch, please keep dancing.